Welcome to the Commander-in-Chief Podcast. I'm Yuri Kruman, founder and CEO of Commander-in-Chief Media Group, award-winning chief people officer and keynote speaker, author of five books, Fortune 500 consultant and corporate trainer, and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Newsweek. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, HR consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people become their own Commanders-in-Chief. Now, if you're interested in being a guest on the Commander-in-Chief podcast, stick around until the end of the show. We will share with you what we're looking for and how to apply. Hey guys, this is Yuri Kruman, and I'm the host of the Commander-in-Chief podcast. As you guys well know from uh, hearing the previous episodes, we, we talk to some of the most interesting entrepreneurs in the world and uh, what they've been up to, and, and not just some PR bullet points, who cares? Their stories, how they overcame difficulties, and yeah, I mean, some, some entrepreneurs clearly undergo more difficult journeys than, than just sort of their resume may suggest. And um, I'm, I'm really excited today to speak to Elite Raz, the CEO of Junko, which is in the HR tech space. Elite, welcome. Please, please tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you, Yuri. Great to be here. Um, so I'm Elite. I'm the CEO of Junko, as you mentioned. Um, we are a diversity recruitment platform to help companies source underrepresented candidates automatically. Um, a little bit about myself and my background and kind of like the journey that and like brought me to talking to you today. Um, started my career at 8200 in the Israeli military, um, the intelligence unit. Been there for about eight years, doing different kind of roles on the technical side. Did BA in computer science at the same time. Um, left the army after eight years when like the, the age gap started to be bigger and bigger. Um, <laughs> and um, went into the startup world. I actually worked for HP for like two months and figured out like that's not for me, I need to work for a small company. Mm -hmm. Left HP, worked for a couple of startups, moved from the more technical roles into product management, been a product manager for B2C product, B2B product, um, security products, did MBA in London and in parallel to those kind of like main activities, I was managing a nonprofit in Israel as part of a global organization. And I think all those kind of stuff brought me into at the end of the day <laughs> doing Junko. Um, I think unlike a lot of entrepreneurs, I didn't have an idea and I kind of like built on top of it a mission that I can go and sell to VCs. No offense to anyone. Um, I actually started the other way around. Um, and I actually started with two other co-founders speaking about like hard um, kind of like journeys. So that's a big thing maybe we should talk about later. Um, but originally started with two other co-founders and the goal for us was to build a company that's going to help corporates fix the diversity issue around um, from an understanding that it's their fault, quote unquote, and it's their responsibility most amount of power to actually make an impact. Um, started a completely different product from what we do today. Actually started with a bias detector for internal organizations to help companies 
avoid internal biases that creates this kind of like leaking point for a lot of people to drop at like mid-level management or mid-career. Um, after about two and a half years, we split ways and I started to hear more and more people talking about recruiting. I really didn't want to do anything around recruiting. I thought it's boring and I didn't think it's going to be interesting from a technology or product perfect like perspective. Um, and then while we were looking for a data science for our kind of like existing product, I came across quite a lot of um, data science women and educated men Israel, that's not super common. I think internationally, it's not super common. Um, spoke to the person who was the general manager of Intuit back then. Um, and she said, well, we probably don't get any female data science applying. I said, actually, we get tons. <laughs> and she said, like, everyone that it's not a good fit for you, but you were impressed by them, send them our way and tell them that we're looking as well. So I started sending a rejection email that says, sorry, it didn't work out for us. But actually, I was really impressed. Like, the reason it's not a good fit, maybe you want a part-time job, maybe you want too much money that we couldn't afford back then. Um, but Intuit is actually looking. Here is an email you should reach out to. Intuit Israel got like two, three or four people out of this thing. And I said, okay, this I can do in scale. Like, I can help companies exchange their best and finals underrepresented candidates that they don't want. Obviously, they can be a good fit for someone else. Like, one person's trash is someone else's gold. Um, and that's basically what Junko does today. Um, we automated the whole process of referrals between companies, not based on you're my friend or we play soccer together, but actually based on my skill set and how deep I went into through the process. Effectively, we operate as kind of like marketing lead generation for recruiting team to, do, to make the sell. Um, working in the U.S., having about 150 companies on the platform, making about 100 to 150 hires a month between our companies, um, working with very large scale of companies. So on like the left side of it, you can find a manufacturing in Alabama making steel. <laughs> and on the other side of the spectrum, you can find like companies like Adidas, American Express, PayPal, Booking.com, et cetera. Um, so this is us. Beautiful. Um, okay, so we're, we're going to unpack this. There's quite a lot in what you said. <laughs> Go for let me, it. Let me set the background again. You know, I, I want to hear from you about this as well, but just let's take a step back. Let's say just the scale of the problem. I think it's very, very important to understand that this is not some niche product. This is no. not some niche problem. This is a huge deal. Again, I'm, I'm just pulling numbers out of my ear, okay? Let's say that on LinkedIn, uh, somebody makes a post, VP of marketing at a, I don't know, Nike, right? Okay, so you're going to have probably thousands of applications. Uh, a lot of it is garbage, really bad fit, but you have, you know, okay, maybe let's say you have, a, I don't know, 200. 200 that could be sort of in the ballpark within that, I don't know, 50 could be plausible. Let's say, um, you know, 25 to 30 could be really good candidates. And then within that, maybe you want to sort so again, within, within just that subset, okay? So we're, we're kind of showing this massive funnel. Again, this is just from one post on LinkedIn probably yeah. over the course of five, 10 days, okay? Flood. Okay, so from those candidates, what happens? What happens in, in practice? Again, this is kind of like, you know, from 
yeah. secret HR world. What happens? What happens behind the curtain? Right? You like it or not? You know, you want to control ideally that okay, it's not like all people that are from the same schools, not all from the same industry, not all from the same companies. It sounds nice. Like, how do you really do that? Okay, because remember, as as a recruiter, as someone who's running this talent acquisition process, you always have an out. You can always say, your skills don't fit, your background was impressive. You know, you, you've, you know, everybody's seen these rejection letters, right? So again, when there's- Not a cultural, not a cultural fit, right? That's like the most yeah, common term. cultural fit. I mean, you know, there's, there's a handful of these kind of uh, form letters. So just from that alone, the trouble is, again, if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, maybe if you're an atypical candidate, you don't come from the same- you know, uh, I don't know, two dozen uh, Ivy League plus schools. You, you maybe didn't work at all the typical companies in the same industry or FANG or whatever, right? You're at a huge disadvantage. And the way things work for the most part, you know, before Junko comes along um, and maybe Mogul, maybe a handful of other companies really working on this seriously, you have an incredible pool of candidates and it's just like, it just drops out, right? And these people are, probably they're discouraged, you know, they're disappointed. They may not know well how to negotiate, they may not feel great about themselves because they've always been behind. They've always been behind in all of in each and every process. And imagine someone comes along like you and says, you know what? Okay, you're, you're a silver medal candidate. I really like how you phrase that on your website. I think it's, I think it's a really beautiful way of, of looking at it. So you're a silver medal candidate. You're, you're pretty damn good at what you do. You're, you're right there, you're neck and neck with, with the person getting the gold. And again, who, who decides who gets the gold or not? Is it really according to merit? We know that it's probably not true. At that level, it's pretty much anybody anybody can do the job. And let's face it, if this person is going to take your offer, you're going to take second best, right? Exactly, exactly, right? So we, we know, we know. I mean, people that have applied for jobs, seen the, these funnels in practice from the consumer end, from the applicant end, they realize like something really stinks here. Something is not right. Okay, so we're, we're at a point where we're starting to see the, the scale of the problem. That's one, we talked about one job. <laughs> now we have millions, literally something like two plus million jobs that are going unfilled, partly for these reasons. Okay, cool. So that's, that's the background for this conversation. I think it's very, very important just to frame the size of it, the importance of it. Now let's, let's take a step back. So again, on, on paper, 8,200, right? We've had quite a, quite a few guests here so far in our modest... Uh, you know, 10, 11, however many episodes we've done, 8,200 product manager, you know, startup one, two, three, funding rounds, crazy growth. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. You know, now we're a unicorn. Yeah, that was easy, right? So you throw in a wrench. Well, you're a woman in this world that's, you know, very macho, Israeli, all that stuff. So Let's not oversimplify it. Let's let's not kind of put uh, cliche nonsense on it. Tell us your experience, what you went through, because I think that informs a lot of this conversation. Sure. Um, do you want me to talk about like my previous life before becoming an entrepreneur or after becoming an entrepreneur, like fundraising? What what do you want me to focus on? Be at least before. I think it's important to set the scene. Like what? Yeah. It's not just like a rubber stamp. Eighty two hundred. You're successful in life. It's not quite. No, like not at all. I was actually about to be thrown away from school at 10th grade or something like that. So if there are parents listening, it ends well at the end, don't worry. I was actually at the supermarket a couple of months ago. I was standing behind in line and two moms were talking about their kid. Um, 
And I was knocking on their back and said, listen, I was about to drop off and I have a successful startup. Don't worry. At the end of the day, it all fixes itself. So don't worry. Yeah. Um, so um, actually, my mom sent me up for computer science in high school. Um, I was pretty good in math. And this is kind of like what led me to, to 8200 at the end, um, pretty much by accident. Um, I think that all through my career until almost a year before I started Junko, I was not even aware to the topic. Um, I was going into a product management um, event of female and female in product management, it was called. Um, went into the meetup, um, coming in with expectations to talk about product management. And the session was all about like gaps between men and female. And I went at the end, went to the person running it and said, like, this all sounds awesome. If you want me to share the link to the Lean In um, book, um, happy to do it. But otherwise, that's not for me. <laughs> just for like people like, I don't want to whine about gaps. I never felt it. I don't think that's true, blah, blah, blah. And she said, listen, listen, can you come to the next session maybe? Um, it's going to be very much more professional. We need people to hear different voices and, and different opinions. Came in one after the other to a couple of meetings, ended up in the kind of like leading group of women that led this group in general. Um, and we were partnering with a group that helped us think what we want to get out of this group on Facebook. Um, like, do we want to see more women speaking in conferences or like, where do we want to, how do we want to leverage the power of the group um, to actually make an impact? And through these workshops, I was exposed to so many different biases that are not salary gaps or like more traditional gap. And maybe people like myself were a little bit tired of hearing about. Um, but it's a really, really kind of like micro events um, that happen, whether it's like who gets most attention on a conversation or if I said something in someone else who accidentally being a male said it right after me, who did they listen to and who gets the credit? Um, how do people coming for an interview and I interview them, like the dynamic between me as an interviewer with a female candidate and a male candidate and how do they see it and how do I experience it? Um, and kind of like being exposed both to biases that I experience and both to and additionally to biases that I was having myself. Like when I was interviewing a female, I looked at it more as great opportunity to mentor someone, even though they were probably as good as the male coming an hour before them. Um, and I started to be more and more exposed to those behaviors, 10x more aware. Um, I'm, I still make mistakes like everyone, but I, I think I'm like on the spectrum on the more aware side than I definitely used to be. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that happened that kind of like people don't talk about them. I think the mistake is that when you talk about the more generic stuff of like salary gaps, um, there are not enough women in computer science in, in universities, stuff like that. But I think people are a little bit like me as a male engineer, I don't know how to fix it. And I feel like I'm being blamed for something that I have zero control on rather than talking about those micro events where you can actually think again on what you did or what you thought and change it and be aware of those biases.
And I think this is where us as an ecosystem are missing a little bit. Because I think instead of turning those men into allies, we put them in a position that they can't hear about it anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very good point. Um, I just kind of want to acknowledge, you know, from my end again, it could be as a head of HR, it could be just someone, you know, who has a wife and two daughters, right, and, and a son whom I want to kind of understand what this looks like. Uh, my mom went through crazy sexism and all kinds of craziness as a as a scientist, as a woman in science, uh, in the Soviet Union and in the U.S. just as well, if not more. So I, I'm, you know. Even with all of that, it's still inevitable. Humans are not algorithmic, right? We can we can try our best to yeah. control. But I think you're right. The, the biggest issue for me about this question is it's kind of like if you present the problem as, as very big and systemic, it's easy to say, ah, well, who am I? What am I to fix this? Who am I to change? Like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. No, not enough. It's, it is about the little incidents. It's a little... It's about the smaller transactions, if you will. That's that's the place where to really fix this. And I think it's like if you would come to a, I don't know, twenty-five years old um, engineering team leader and say, "Hey, you have like a parent in your team. Maybe you shouldn't have meetings after five p.m." I don't think he's booking those meetings at seven p.m. because he's a bad person. He just doesn't think of it. he doesn't have kids and he just doesn't think about it. Um, and his friend doesn't have kids. Like it looks like a normal thing for him. Um, and just this is what the original product was supposed to do. Like turning those lights at the right moments um, to say, this is what you can do. It's like the smallest thing ever. And it will change someone else's experience in your company or in your team. Um, and I think it's, I want to hope that someday we'll we'll continue with the original product and kind of like connect it to what we do today because I do think that it's those micro events that if you turn on the slide at the right moment, you can actually make a change and turn turn those people into allies. And I think it's like super important. Okay, cool. I'm glad you set the background. So let's let's move on after. So you've you've built Junko, or at least you've pivoted. Now the VC situation. What does that look like as a woman in tech? <sighs> Maybe I have blind spot again. I'm not gonna lie. I do think that um, there's a sentence that says that men are over promising, under delivering, and women are under like under promising, over delivering. Um, and I think this is where, especially at the early days, was going against me. Against me, I was like really giving the most realistic um, forecasts and stuff like that. And I looked around and said, like, how the hell does those people think they're going to sell, like, sell a 10 million on this next year? And I started to realize is like the story that you tell is sometimes more important than the actual teeny tiny facts. Um, and it took me a long progress to understand like, how do I become, I, th I think at the end of the day, men appear as more confident than women in general in their approach or the way that people, the way that people look at them, not necessarily how they behave, but um, I will say there's a big change around it. Um, I made a very, very clear decision when I started that we don't want to fundraise from 
VCs for female. I don't want to. I don't want people to invest because I'm a female. I want people to invest because they think it's a good business, and that we can be successful. And every time I meet a female entrepreneur that says like, "I found this list of kind of like investors that invest in female," I said like, "Why? Why do you not good enough for just a VC? <laughs> why does it have to be a VC that invests in women?" And I think those VCs, on one hand, are a good outlet for a lot of people, but I do think they need to encourage entrepreneurs to say, we're not going to lead around, we're going to join around because we want to support you, we want to add value, but you need to fundraise from regular VC or whatever it's going to call. Yeah. Um, I think that it's like super important on that perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so that's, we could do a separate show just on that subject, but let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would love to hear a bit about, so you, you made the pivot and you mentioned co-founders and kind of, you know, the messy, the messy situation. We don't need to talk too much about it, but it, it is a pivot. It is a really big deal. And I think a lot of um, founders and CEOs come across that problem. It is inevitable that, you, you, you know, your vision changes, not everyone's on board, not everyone sees the world the same way. So how, how maybe when you came across that problem, how did you handle it? How, not easy, Pretty poorly, I would say, looking backwards. Um, probably been one of the worst times in my life. Um, but looking backwards, I think it was something that had to be done way earlier before that point. Um, like you think about a volcano, like it gets to this tipping point when you just can't stand each other, you can't be in the same room. I don't think you should get there. I think you can part ways in a nicer way. Um, it's like you look at people that get divorced and stay in a good relationship. Um, this is how you should think about it if you want to divorce your um, your co-founders. I think that when you start a journey as a co-founder, um, you're in sexy approach of telling people I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a VP, I'm a CTO, whatever. Um, I have a startup and very quickly it starts to be very hard (laughs) and very time consuming and emotional consuming and everything consuming it becomes your life it's number one priority before anything else um and i think it's very very hard to explain how hard it's going to be and i think founders need to have constant conversation around are we still the best team to do it and if not maybe someone needs to leave um, we didn't do it. We got to a tipping point where we just couldn't even be in the same room. One founder left, then the other founder left, probably within the next, like within a time frame of a week. Um, stayed by myself. Um, I really can remember like sitting on a, it was outside of like, outside of like a, a kiosk and I was sitting on, on like those stairs there. And I cried a little bit. And so, like, I, I honestly don't know what to do. Like, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I gave a call to one of our angel investors. And I said, like, can we have coffee? Like, I honestly don't know what to do. And the first thing that he told me is being with people that you don't do good to each other and you don't take out the best out of each other and having constantly those unknowns. Will they stay? Will they go? There are no unknowns anymore. It is what it is. Let's do it. And and I think that this was a moment when I like inside I felt so confident about the idea that we have, like the pivot. And I think it showed. And he said, like, listen, 
um, it was me and another engineer on the team. She's now the CTO of the company, but he said like, I'll, I'll sponsor you and her and the office and I'll pay for everything. And as an investment month of the month, and I'll set you goals for each month. So each month you hit, you hit the goals, I'll pay for the next month. Um, and slowly we're going to put you on track to go and fundraise like a, like a normal company and putting this thing behind you and not coming from a weak position, but actually from a position of strength. Um, and this is basically what happened. We were doing it for like four and a half months. Mm -hmm. The company went on track back, um, new product, tons of, of traction from companies getting a lot of interest um, in the company and raised our initial money for the new idea, raised about 2.5 million. And then from that point, everything changed. Um, and even with COVID and everything in between, um, which is not for the recruiting spaces, was not the best. Uh, we managed to do it. I think the main reason that we did it is that we finally had the right team and the team that understand like, when do we consult and make a, to get a decision together when it's just my decision or the board decision or whatever, understanding the differences between being a manager in the company than being a founder of the company that doesn't necessarily all goes to all whales together at, at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's a way to manage a separation in a good way, but um, I think think about vesting for a longer time than they kind of like traditional four years. Because if you stay together, it doesn't really matter. But if you don't stay together, that's going to keep you and the company safe. Um, so I would definitely recommend extending the kind of like vesting and cliff period. Because every entrepreneur you probably talk to, unless they're like 8,200 doing a security product and get a check at the end of the, like at the end of their service. But other people that do other stuff know that the first 12 to 18 months, that's like entrepreneurial school. It's not like anything else but that. And if the person doesn't survive those schooling period, maybe they shouldn't be here and they definitely should with equity. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a, it's a very thorny subject, which again, deserves its own longer discussion, yeah. but perhaps not on here. Thank you for sharing. That's that's definitely not easy. That's that's one of the harder things I found that entrepreneurs have to deal with. The whole situation about again dealing with people that suddenly they turned turned into someone else. Yeah. And you know, you have the whole equity piece. And I think it's I think it's remarkable that you have someone who became you know a sponsor champion investor as well. It's it doesn't always take much, but it's it's that sometimes one person, one conversation, someone just believes in you and says, you know what? I don't care what you build. I'm going to be behind you. We've had that conversation with several other, other people uh, like uh, Omer Kilov from Inubis. He, he said he had a very similar situation and quite a big check <laughs> <That's what's laughs> about, uh, before the thing was built. Either. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. And it's not like everyone just has that check waiting, uh, you know, upon getting out of 8200. So definitely appreciate you sharing with us. That's, that's not an easy one. So Thank tell you. us just a bit about, you know, your vision, sort of, you know, if everything goes exactly as you want, God willing, within, you know, the next five to 10 years, what does Junco look like? What is the impact out, out in the world? Yeah. I think the world of diversity and inclusion um, becoming more and more meaningful for a lot of companies. B&I is like super uh, important topic for a lot of CEOs. And I think that, 
we are now seeing the progress, the same way we saw for customer success, becoming an industry with products, with solutions. Um, the thing with DNI is that it kind of like has a silver lining all through the organization, from like an applicant to a candidate to an employee, all the way to retaining them. My vision for the company is that we take care of all of it, like being in one place where you measure and um, handle all of your DEI efforts, no matter what type of the area and the organization it touches. I think it's going to come from growing fast, acquiring a couple of like niche solutions within the DEI space. I don't think that, like, when you look at the space today, there are a lot of niche solutions. Um, doing like very, very small stuff. I think that at the end of the day, you're gonna start seeing more monsters acquiring those small um, um, companies and, and building a kind of like, I don't like this term, but like a one-stop shop. Everyone likes to use one tool. And, and I think that this is kind of like, where do we see ourselves within the next three to five years? One of the most interesting thing that came out like I think a week or two weeks ago is like um, LinkedIn did a, a yearly report of the fastest growing roles in the US. Number one is vaccination specialist. Yes, and this is number two, I think. And diversity and inclusion has been number two. Um, so diversity and inclusion managers are number two fastest growing roles in, in the States. And I think that shows a lot about like, how do people look at this role? And in this industry, yep. and the more this industry grows, the more we're gonna need tools and platforms for them to manage it. Like DNI is not a gut feeling. If you do it properly, the same way you do sales, marketing, engineering, you should take care of like your people, and more specifically the DNI efforts that you have. That's that's highly quotable. I really like that. DI is not a gut feeling. I think yep. uh, it's very important to kind of. Um, acknowledge that, okay, um, the the gig is up, right? You can't just check the box. You can't just send a yeah. press release. It's not enough. It's not even enough just to hire people for roles that, you know, okay, maybe they, they oh, they're people of color. Congratulations. No. They need systems. They need to get paid. They need to have the ability to actually create something, yeah. build something that's meaningful, serious, not just there for a few months or a year, right? It's, it's something for the long term. I think we're, we're coming into that kind of space in this industry, if you want to call it that, where it's becoming more mature. Absolutely. I think it's very, very important when you have solutions. You're right. They're, they're maybe a part of a larger suite. So maybe, you know, it's a scale thing. But for now, for now, yeah, somebody has to take kind of take into account all of the different moving pieces. So that's exactly that's why I think this conversation is super, super important. Wonderful, Elite. Um, I want to wrap up. Um, I ask all of my guests um, the same question based on um, you know the four conversations that are from my book, Be Your Own Commander-in-Chief. So anything you can share with us around life philosophy connected to those four conversations, whether it's uh, around the conversation with uh, one's body, fitness, nutrition, sleep, biorhythms, whatever it is, mental models and life skills, dealing with cognitive bias inside toward oneself, um, you know, Maybe it's managing expectations, making decisions, managing stress, et cetera. And then um, the number three piece is dealing with other people, advisors, investors, managers, vendors, you know, whoever, whatever, plus maybe family. 
And then the last one is about a conversation with God or the universe. So we're, we're really eager to hear whatever you can share with us around any of those four, four or four. Sure. Um, so I don't know if I'm the best person for wellness and nutrition, but I can't function if I didn't sleep for seven hours. And I do my best to, to, to keep this routine on a daily basis. Um, and I think that I personally don't see the value of working 15 hours a day. I think that if you manage your day and your time properly, you can probably work six hours a day or eight hours a day. Um, and if you ended up working 15, you didn't, you don't get twice the things in 15 hours versus it. It just doesn't, this, the math, this math doesn't work. Um, I do try to be super respective of other people's time and want people to be respectful of my time. So if I'll go up on an interview with a candidate and sometime three minutes into the interview, understand, okay, that this is a great person, but it's actually not what we look for. I can like stop the interview and say, listen, I don't, I can, I can make this 20 minutes interview. You feel good. You go out and then you get the rejection. You don't understand why. So let me, in next? <laughs> so let me in person explain to you why I don't think it's what we look for and why it's not a good fit and being honest and open about it. I think it's super important for everyone around you. Yep. Um, I think also being um, vulnerable, like, talking about your feelings with your employees, with your investors. I think all of my employees, all of my investors, all of them see me crying when, when, once, in a, once in a while. Um, I'm a person. Um, <laughs> and this thing is very emotional, right? For people who haven't noticed. <laughs> um, and I think it, it makes you a human behind a CEO title that sometimes employees are having a hard time to see. Um, and... Try to spend time with my family on every weekend. And for myself, I try to, London is my happy place. Um, so even during COVID, I try to do my best to travel three, five times a, three to five times a year, depending on COVID, for like a long weekend and just no work, no friends, no family, no nothing. Just myself, clear my head for 72 hours and going back to work. Um, I'm sure everyone has this place for them where they don't feel like they need to do this and do that and eat in that place and go to this restaurant, blah, blah, blah. Like it's just relaxing. I've been there, God knows, hundreds of times already. Um, I don't feel like I need to make something specifically um, and tick a box that I've seen this or that. It's just relaxing. It can be, it can be on a beach for one person. It can be anywhere. It's just disconnecting for a little bit. Anything around the, the last piece? I'm always curious. People have totally different ways of looking at that. Stuff. Um, so I grew up in a family that do like more traditional stuff, like Passover, stuff like that. So this I don't miss. And I do my best not to miss it. Even if I need to do like work stuff, I'll stay with my family for like the holiday, um, do like the dinner or whatever. And then I'll travel. So I do my best to be with my family on those specific events just because A, I think, you don't ever know. You can never know what what's gonna happen, and it might be your last holiday together or whatever for whatever reason. Um, but it can happen. Um, so I do my best to keep the tradition, and it was very important for my grandfather and my grandpa and my grandmother. It's important for my mom, so I do my best to do that. Um, and 
I don't I don't I don't want to say I believe or don't believe in God or, or something like that. It's just I think tradition is a good thing to have. Um and it's part of who we are as people. Um so I definitely can like if you get to know me on a personal level and then you meet and then a day before Yom Kippur I'll say, so I fast on Yom Kippur, people say, whoa, because I don't eat kosher or whatever, but it's like a tradition that I grew up with. I don't do it because I think that I need to cover no, I enjoy it because it's part of the tradition I grew up in. And I think it's nice to disconnect for 24 hours, 25 hours. Um, so yeah. David, thank you so much. It's sure, it's thank a you very, so much. Very important conversation that we, we had today. Hopefully we'll continue. There's much more here. We've only picked picked the surface. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Please, thank you very much for sharing your thank you, Yuri. I appreciate it. It's, it's really it's really refreshing. Not not to just sort of you know, hear the highlights and, and all of that. Um, I think it's, if, if nothing else for me personally, I very much see things the same way. You have to be human. You have to be vulnerable. That's the only way people are going to go with you somewhere. doesn't matter. You're, you're a woman, you're a man. It, it shouldn't really matter, right? It's harder in practice, but I think that, you know, it, it shouldn't just have to be like an HR tech thing because, oh, you're an HR, so you must... It's not an HR tech thing. It's just a human thing. Let's let's not forget that. Let's not lose sight of that. Yeah, so, I agree. I salute you. Thank you very much for. Uh, Thank you so much, Jerry. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you so much for listening to Commander in Chief podcast. To apply to be a guest on the show, head on over to cicmediagroup.com/backslash/guest. CIC is in Commander in Chief, so that's CIC mediagroup.com backslash guest. These guys help us spread the word about the podcast and our mission on social media. We're cooking up something truly special over here and we really need your help to spread the message. The reviews especially are huge for helping us grow and get the golden nuggets of wisdom from our world-class guests out into the world. Go on ahead, give us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen. Our mission at Commander Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, consulting, corporate training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people to become their own Commanders-in-Chief. And before you go, please make sure to hit that subscribe button for us here at the Commander-in-Chief Podcast so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. Let's not be strangers, friend, okay? Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you hang out. And, of course, if you want to learn more about our work and impact or just access some great content, plenty of that, head on over to cicmediagroup.com. That's uh, CIC as in Commander-in-Chief, mediagroup.com. Once more, this is Yuri Kruman, and thanks for listening.